DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Peter Kraft, who is a professor of philosophy at Boston College and is one of the most widely read Christian authors of our time. His many best-selling books cover a vast array of topics in spirituality, theology, and philosophy. They include practical theology, Back to Virtue, Because God is Real, You Can Understand the Bible, Angels and Demons, Heaven, The Heart's Deepest Longing, and A Summa of the Summa. With Dr. Peter Kraft, we go inside the pages of How to Be Holy, First Steps in Becoming a Saint, published by Ignatius Press. The ever-popular and prolific Peter Kraft says that the most important question he has written about is how one becomes holy, or to put it another way, how one becomes a saint. This question is central to all the great religions, Crave demonstrates, for striving toward holiness, moving toward perfect love, is the whole purpose of life. Dr. Crave admits that he is only a beginner on the climb to holiness, and it is to novices like him that he has written this engaging and encouraging book. Using the insights and experiences of saints and great spiritual writers throughout history, Dr. Crave shows what holiness is and how it can be achieved. He especially draws upon the spiritual classic, Abandonment to Divine Providence, by the Jesuit Father Jean-Pierre de Cousard. The core of Cousard's timeless gem is that God reveals himself to all of us through the daily events of our lives. The surest way toward spiritual growth, therefore, is by persevering and accepting the merciful will of God in every situation. Dr. Cray stresses the simplicity of his approach to holiness, which focuses mainly on the virtue of love. Sanctity is love, he asserts, and only that can give us what we all long for, deep and lasting joy. We now begin our conversation with Dr. Peter Kraft. Dr. Kraft, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. How to be holy, first steps in becoming a saint. Such an important work that you provided for us, particularly because you introduce many of us to a very important spiritual classic. Could you tell us about your experience with Jean-Pierre de Cossat? Well, I like simple books. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't like to get too complicated. Mm-hmm. Keep it simple, stupid, K-I-S-S, that's one of my favorite rules. Uh, now, the fundamental aim and purpose of human life is to become a saint so that you can appreciate and enjoy heaven better. Trust in a pure of heart, for they shall see God. So, any book that can help us to put our foot firmly on the first rungs of that ladder is precious. And this is a very simple classic. Uh, there are probably greater spiritual classics for the advanced, but this is one of my favorite books for beginners. And it's based on a very simple idea. Uh, unless you're an atheist, unless God is, is simply unreal, he's perfect. He knows everything, he, he controls everything, and he loves everybody. And therefore, his providence uh, leads you to perfection, to sanctity, if you only follow it. Uh, mm-hmm. All things work together for good. If not, then either God is weak or stupid or wicked. 
Well, that Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which you just gave us, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, can be a concept that really, we scratch our heads and say, really, all things? Is it truly possible? It has to be, because if not, then either there is no God, or God's not God. Mm. That's the most important and the hardest article of faith to believe, especially when things seem to be falling apart and nothing seems to make sense. You still hold on to that life preserver. When your ship goes down, that's the most important time to hold on to your life preserver. I guess that's what atheists will draw upon when they, they'll say to us, why would he let the ship go down? Well, that's a very good argument. That's the very best argument for atheism. And God has allowed that as a real test of faith. And if you come through that, your faith is much stronger than it ever was before. A faith that's not tested by by suffering that you can't understand, that's a weak faith. There's no convincing argument against that. Uh, It doesn't disprove the existence of God, but it certainly looks like evidence strongly against it. I think that's true. I mean, he, as you point out in the book so beautifully, that sanctity... At its very essence, if we were to understand its sanctity, holiness, it's love, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's not mainly a no, it's mainly a yes. Mm. The commandments, even when they're framed as no's, are, are yeses. You say no to the no in order to say yes to the yes. You say no to all the enemies of love so that you can love God with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. Well, now there's the rub, isn't it? I mean, it's not about having a feeling, but just as you said, we have to will it, or we have to do it, don't we? That's right. That's right. And the cleverer you are, the more easy it is to deceive yourself that you've done it just because you're thinking about doing it, because you're living your mind so much. But we've got to live in the real world. We have to do it. Now, isn't that interesting, living, we live in our mind? I mean, this is something that philosophers do, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Philosophers, uh, Philosophers and psychologists tend to go crazy much more frequently than ordinary people. <laughs> and yet, it's exactly there that we can come to know him and, and to, to love him and to serve him. And it goes all the way back to love, isn't it? Because that's ultimately the, the origin of all service. Well, if philosophy is based on love, if it's the love of wisdom, that'll lead you to God. If it's just based on cultivating your own cleverness, it won't. Mm. Well, to know the very nature of God, that's, it, it can only be experienced through love, and love is ultimate goodness. So that's the nature of God, isn't it? Yes, that's true. And love has eyes. Pascal famously says the heart has its reasons that the reason does not know, which is often misunderstood and quoted as a defense of sentimentalism. But he's saying the opposite. That the eye is not that the heart is not just an organ of feeling, but an organ of, of insight, of, of perception. The more you love, the more you see God. Jesus himself said that. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Mm. You know, and to be able to uh, to be able to see that, it's something that oftentimes we need to have help, don't we? I mean, to be able to grow in this holiness. Oh, absolutely. And the most important help, of course, is supernatural help. But then we all need uh, the Church, we need friends, we need saints, and Jesus is both. He's our ultimate human friend, and he's our ultimate supernatural help. So that's the single word answer to how you become a saint. That Father who created us and is all good and loves us knows what's best for us. But as, as you point out in your book, and as we've experienced in life, we don't always understand why he allows 
certain things to happen, do we? If we did understand it all, there would be no need for faith. Mm. You understand that two and two are four, and you have five fingers in your hand, and the sky is blue. So there's no room for faith there. When Romeo proposes to Juliet, he doesn't uh, prove it. He doesn't come with, with philosophical arguments or a battery of lawyers. He says, trust me, run away with me. That's what God does to us. Do we understand what the, the even the definition of faith is anymore, Dr. Craved? Well, uh, I guess everyone has to speak for themselves, but the definition is very clear. Uh, faith means the, well, here's the old Baltimore Catechism definition, mm-hmm. the act of the mind prompted by the will, whereby you believe everything that God has revealed on the grounds of the authority of the God who revealed it. In other words, God said it, I believe that that settles it. So that's the intellectual dimension of faith. But there's a deeper dimension, the personal dimension. You trust him. You put your life in his hands. Don't just make up your mind to do it, you do it. It sounds like you're speaking of relationship. Of course, of course. The very word religion means fundamentally relationship. It comes from the Latin religare, which means binding relationship or binding back. Hope, then, is the arms that spring from that faith. It's like it's yeah. grasping to to embrace the other, isn't it, at its yeah. core? Faith, faith, hope, and love are the three glues that glue you to God, and they're the highest functions of the three powers of the soul that raises above the animals. Faith is, is the highest thing that our mind can do, and love is the highest thing our will can do, and hope is the highest thing our desires and, and our feelings can do. And so God having created us and, and wants this relationship, this embrace, he wants what's best for us, as you've, you've so clearly articulated in the book. He makes us holy in two ways, doesn't he? He desires that for us, and we hopefully are desiring that as well. Yeah. Uh, we can't do it without him, and he won't do it without us. That's what love is. Uh, it's got to be freely given, and it's got to be freely accepted. That's the only reason there's a hell. God doesn't want anybody in hell. He doesn't put anybody in hell, but he gives you free will, and he says, here is my gift. No matter how great your sin, my forgiveness is greater. If you believe that and accept his gift, you have it. But if you don't believe him and you don't trust him, you don't accept the gift. You don't have it. Well, there's that first way on how we become holy and is that free will. And what a crazy gift that is. My gosh. I oh, mean... it's dangerous. If we were God, we never would have risked this. <laughs> we would have created happy little robots. Ask any parent. You wish. You just wish. Yes, yes. Having, having, having fits is more rational than having children. It's not nearly as much fun. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, he must find joy in our choices sometimes, and it's misery. Sometimes. And you've got to have a sense of humor. Every, every successful parent has to have a sense of humor, and God is the most successful parent. So we must have the most enormous sense of humor. Yeah, he really does. And then also, though, because he has that great love for us, some, as you've said, our, um, that will of ours, even if our, no matter how strong we think our faith, our hope, our love is, it isn't strong enough, is it? That's one of the things he has to teach us uh, at our own expense sometimes. Uh, Socrates, my favorite philosopher, says there's only two kinds of people in the world. Uh, the fools who think they're wise, and the wise who know that they're fools. Mm. Pascal, one of my favorite Christian philosophers, says there's only two kinds of people in the world, saints who know that they're sinners, and sinners who think that they're saints. When that will is not strong enough, when it's not, we cannot do it on our own, 
this is where the great mystery of suffering comes in, doesn't it? Yeah, suffering educates us. Even the old pagans knew that. If you've never suffered, you can't be wise. Mm. Because suffering teaches you how weak you are and how needy you are and how you can't do it on your own. Uh, and, and it toughens you, it strengthens you. The person who's never suffered is, is the real unfortunate. When you talk about those saints, I can't think of a saint that didn't suffer. I mean, yeah. whether and you think of the faith of Therese and the little flower or Bernadette or Faustina, Colby, you name it. They all had tremendous faith, hope, and love, and yet look at how they suffered. People think that deep suffering and deep joy are opposites. They're not. They go together. The only, the only really joyful heart is the one that suffered a lot. The only whole heart is a broken heart. Uh, look at Mother Teresa, mm-hmm. a lifelong dark night of the soul, and she's one of the happiest people in the world. Mm-hmm. And she keeps talking about and, and practicing cheerfulness. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's crazy for us, isn't it, to think that somehow if I if I choose to be well somehow that I'm going to choose to be a saint, and then I'm going to work for that. That it it scares me a little bit that I might have to suffer, and yet the reality is everyone suffers. No matter what, in the human condition, I don't care how rich you are, you're going to suffer, aren't you? Yep. You suffer either in the way that Job did or in the way that the author of Ecclesiastes did. Here is a man who had everything taken away from him. And in the end, he saw God face to face. He had heaven on earth. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, you can't see God's face and live. Only Moses and Job did that. But Job was one of them. So that was his supreme joy. Even before he got his stuff back, he was totally satisfied. On the other hand, Ecclesiastes has everything. Why women in song, richest man in the world, and he says it's all vanity, vanity of vanities. So the question is not how much suffering you have, it's what kind of suffering you have. Do you have the positive suffering that leads to love and wisdom, or do you have the negative suffering that leads to meaninglessness? Well, in, in his great guidance for us, as you term, he becomes our guru, as it were, God the Father. He provides for us. Now, I'm a mother of, uh, with my husband, of two autistic of children of our three, and we have really come to know the individual education program, the, the IEP. And yep. each for each of those, our, each of our children, it's very unique and set up to meet their particular needs, and that's true for all of us in our life, isn't it? Yes, and our heavenly Father is the ideal parent, and incredibly patient, and has a great sense of humor, uh, and therefore he treats his severely brain damaged, handicapped children, us, mm-hmm. uh, the way we're supposed to treat ours. Mm. We're all brain damaged, one way or another. I have a handicapped child, too, and she's taught me more than anybody else has. She's taught me who I am. Yeah, isn't that it, Dr. Crave? My husband and I, if we didn't have the experience of all three of our children, I can't imagine what our lives would be like. It would be the person I was before I had them and the person I've become. They have become utter, beautiful blessing. And And that ultimately is a part of the joy, isn't it, in suffering? Yep. I've talked to and read things from a lot of parents who have a child with Down syndrome, Mm -hmm. and everybody pities them, and they say, that's silly. This is life's greatest gift. They're so happy. They make you so happy. Outsiders can't understand. Mm -hmm. Well, understanding. Now, there's, there's something. 
uh, why can't I understand? And sometimes even Our Lady was a great example, wasn't she, of someone who didn't always understand. And sometimes we have to die to that need, don't we? Well, yes, because understanding goes deeper than just the mind. When you don't figure it out, you can still understand with your heart, with your love. That, that's, that's got an eye in it. Mm-hmm. So she understood God so well that she didn't have to understand everything else with her mind. Isn't that the, ultimately, the, even surrendering to the need to understand, that is part of that embrace of the present moment? That's the essence of, of de Cosa's book, Surrender. One one alternative title uh, is not so much abandonment to divine providence, but surrender to divine providence. A beautiful word. Mm-hmm. Beautiful word. At, at the heart of a, a very compromised religion, Islam, is that beautiful idea. Islam means total surrender to God's will. That's the essence of sanctity. Mm-hmm. And there are uh, some great Muslim saints as well as some great Muslim sinners. None of us have a corner on either sanctity or sin. Well, that's really true. To understand and to embrace that, ultimately, it, it, it you had this this wonderful way of explaining how grace builds on nature, that how it perfects nature, and it's that image of the light that shines and and how it affects color, and that's yeah. that's what it can be like for us, can it? Yeah, because light doesn't have any color because it transcends all color. Therefore, it's the friend of every color, and it brings out more of every color. And that's like God, too. He is utterly transcendent to us, and therefore he can't rival us. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. He's not running for president. So <laughs> he enlightens everybody. Everybody. Grace is astonishingly non-judgmental, like but, light. But to be able to receive that, it really requires the opening of one's heart. And that term, yeah. heart... It, it do do we understand it? I mean, I actually had someone tell me once a, a really a wonderful, nice guy, though a very guy's guy, who said, "Oh, that's such a feminine term. Do you really want to use the word heart?" And I'm like, well, it seemed to be it seemed to work in the scriptures really well. <laughs> Good grief! Well, we usually misunderstand it. We think it's it's healing and sentiment. Mm-hmm. It's deeper than that. It's it's the heart of the matter. Just mm-hmm. as the heart pumps the life blood throughout the whole body, so the heart of your soul, the detective of your soul, pumps the blood through the feelings and the thoughts and everything else in your soul. It's it's something that's almost indefinable, like the, the center point of the circle. It's not this particular wedge of the circle. It's the center of all of it. The heart, the great mystery. It really is. And it, isn't it really part of that in surrender is also you have to be able to discern because there's so many movements within that because it is such a mystery in, in, within that heart. You have to be able to discern it. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's got a mental uh, aspect. It's got an eye in it. And it's got a will aspect. It's a free choice. Then it's got a feeling aspect. There's trust. There's personal relationship. It, it, the heart gets all those things together. Have we cultivated a discerning heart, Dr. Craft? Well, yes and no. Uh, every age and every individual has their own pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think deep down we know that we have to do that. Uh, religion has to go to the very depths of our being, uh, but we're not good at it. We're, we're confused. So our first step is is to ask for help because we can't do it on our own. God has to has to do it. Uh, one of my favorite prayers is, uh, "Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief." 
Well, one of the things that we have to be aware of, isn't it, that in this in this in this call to holiness, that there will be those enemies of holiness that will try to uh, even dissuade us or even pull us away from that light. And that in well, what that's we call for sure. spiritual warfare, right? All the saints teach that. As soon as you make a concerted effort to strive for holiness, the devil wakes up and attacks you and makes things difficult. And God allows it because that's the way you train your spiritual muscles. That's the way you become wiser and holier. Well, so it's a fight. Would not his first attack on you be to try to convince you that you can never become a saint, that it's not possible yep. for you? Yep, yep, despair. Pride and despair go hand in hand. Mm. Uh, they seem opposites, but, but they're, they're very, very similar. Um, I think that's probably what he did to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, you can't do this. You're, you're, you're a failure. You're not going to save everybody. Some people are going to go to hell anyway, even though you're dying on the cross. So you're a failure. Stop. That was a very serious temptation. That would be, wouldn't it? I mean, again, going back to that experience of being a parent, no matter how many children you have, the idea of even losing one would be just mm-hmm. agony, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. Look at Jesus' parable of the 99 good sheep and one black sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the shepherd so loves the black sheep that he spends all day going out into the wilderness and trying to find that one black sheep. Uh, in, in that light, I think you have to understand Jesus' answer to the disciples' question, Lord, are many going to be saved? And Jesus says, strive to enter in, because the way is narrow, and those are few who enter in. That doesn't mean that less than 50% of people go to heaven. That means that in the eyes of the Heavenly Father, who's not a statistician but a father, mm-hmm. even 1% is too big mm-hmm. to lose, and even 99% are too small to win. That's right. That's right. Another thing that we have to be aware of is the element of fear. Fear is a, a great blocker for faith, isn't it? Yes. Thomas Aquinas helpfully distinguishes two very different kinds of fear, which he calls servile fear and filial fear. Servile fear is the fear of a slave that his master is going to beat him. Uh, filial fear is fear of a loving child, uh, of uh, disappointing his loving parent. Mm-hmm. And you may start with servile fear, but you don't end there. You end with filial fear, which is really one with love. John, in his first letter, said, his perfect love casts out fear, but it has to start there. I love in the book when you recall the words of FDR where he says, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And that, on the premise, when you think about it, that's such a stupid thing to say. It is. Some, some of our quotations are really stupid. <laughs> we think they're these great Having moments. nothing to fear but fear, that's like having faith in nothing but faith. That's a whole of mirrors. Yeah, and or even some of our songs. That remember uh, a few years ago, it was God is watching us from a distance. And it was such a, what are you talking about? He's not distant at all, is he? Not for the Christian, anyway. Right, right. He's right here. In fact, if you're really sane, if you live in the real world, you see God everywhere, because he is everywhere. He's holding everything in existence. He is. And to even go back to our conversation about the heart, I mean, he ultimately dwells in us. It, it says it over and over again. I mean, I, it, it amazes me that we always talk about going out and finding Jesus, like we have to go on a quest outside of ourselves. 
And yet, yeah. the greatest quest is inward, isn't it, Dr. Kraft? Well, if he's present everywhere, he's present in the world more deeply than anything else is, and he's present in our own heart more deeply than we are. Augustine says God is more present to us than we ever are to ourselves. But the mistake we often make there is we divide reality into two areas, us and everything else, what's inside our skin and what's outside our skin. And then we say, well, where's God? Well, if he's outside my skin, he's farther away than any far galaxy. And if he's inside my heart, well, then he's there so uh, mysteriously and darkly I can never find him. But the mistake is to look at things from our perspective and say God must be either inside me or outside me. But we're in him, and the world is in him. We're not the standard. He's the standard. Mm. Uh, we're not the map makers who say, okay, God, are you objective or subjective? Are you in the world or are you in me? Uh, God makes the maps. He says, are you in me? He invites us to come in, to come home. Isn't it beautiful? And he's all good. So ultimately, once we're just transformed and embraced and just saturated like a tea bag, we're in all good, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. And we're we're literally insane not to uh, respond to that. Everything God does is out of love and for our ultimate joy. And we distrust him. We say, ah, that can't be. That's, that's too good to be true. He's making a mistake here. I've I, I got to do things my way, not his way. And that never works, and we know it over and over again, and yet we keep trying. It just really is an imperative for us then just to surrender. And and yeah. ultimately, it, even though it's an act, it's kind of a paradox, isn't it? We're called to respond with our will to love, and yet we're called to surrender that, to let it go. Yeah, and that's the great paradox, because when you surrender yourself and your will, then yourself and your will really come alive. Mm. And the only way to be a complete human self is to surrender yourself. And Jesus uses that, that beautiful image of the grain of wheat. Unless it falls into the ground and dies, it's not alive. But if it dies to itself, it produces great fruit. Well, I could just sit at your feet all day, Dr. Kraft, and just be, learn and continue to try to grow in holiness and that awareness. I have to tell you, I love the appendix in the books. Uh, appendix 1 and 2, the meditations and the just the dialogue. I love it when you do those in your books. They're just absolutely phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I think most readers do, because dialogue is closer to the nature of God than monologue, because God's a trialogue. He's a trinity. So the more people they bring into dialogue, the more non-alone you are, the more you laugh of yourself into others, the more like God you are. Isn't another word for, or another aspect of dialogue is communication? And at the yeah. heart of that is communion. Yes, yes. Mm. Wonderful. Well, I wish we had more time. Any final thoughts, Dr. Kraft? Uh, yeah, just turn your thoughts over to God. Uh, your thought life is the origin of everything else. So St. Paul says, bring every thought in captivity to Christ. Lay it at his feet, and he'll give it back to you multiplied. Beautiful. I love that. Dr. Peter Kraft, thank you so very much. You're very welcome. God bless you. With Dr. Peter Kraft, we've gone inside the pages of How to Be Holy, First Steps in Becoming a Saint. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to Ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. 
To hear and or to download this conversation along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.